You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 112, featuring the Cars of Carlisle team members, Sam and Lou. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, Cars of Carlisle Network team members Lou Jenikopoulos and Sam Farringer discuss their respective cars upgrades since their initial CFC debut in February 2019. Follow along as the guys discuss everything about their cars, from fanboying over Wright Tech's equipment to some of their trials and missteps along the way during their respective builds. Their project cars have been a true labor of love. In fact, their Nova and Skylark have both come a long way since last year. It's time to hear Sam and Lou's build stories. So, let's get revved up! Hello and welcome back, Cubers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren, and this is episode 112. We're going to Studio C tonight to hear from Cars of Carlisle colleagues Lou Janikopoulos and Sam Faringer. The Muscle Car Millennials have a great show for you this week. I'm looking forward to you hanging out with us in this intercast. As always, I sincerely value all of our friends at Carlisle Vents. All right, Cubers, I'm on the phone with uh, Mike. Mike, thanks for taking a few minutes this afternoon. Sounds like, uh, well, you've got spring uh, or spring show 2020 under the belt, but not exactly uh, a, a rubber stamp kind of week. It was uh, an unusual one in light of the pandemic and everything else you guys are up against. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, as best I can. You know, I guess every day is an adventure at Carlisle, and I have always told people that in my role as public relations manager, there's something different every day. And what we experienced last week was the most different thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. For those that may not be aware, the uh, spring show had been twice rescheduled and finally was taking place June 17th through the 20th. And then on the first day of the event, we were so, uh, uh, served with a notice of lawsuit from the state of Pennsylvania and the Department of Health uh, in an attempt to shut down the show. Now, I think there was some uh, misunderstanding uh, with regards to some of the data that we promote and the size of the event, expected turnout, etc. And to make a long and stressful story short, ultimately the suit was actually dismissed, which was great news for everybody in attendance to Carlisle and even better news for those interested in coming to any one of our events on the 2020 schedule. So that's where we certainly ask for support from the listenership. You can either support Carlisle events by coming out to one of our shows, to the Chevrolet Nationals, to the Chrysler Nationals, the Ford Nationals, the Truck Nationals, the Import and Performance Nationals, Corvettes at Carlisle, or Fall Carlisle. And I got Chevy, it all out right there. And while so, you take a, and take a <laughs> breath on that one, Chevy is this coming weekend. So that's that one's just yeah. No rest ready. for the weary man. And we're uh, we're right back at it. We're uh, we're already flipping the grounds and getting ready for the Chevrolet Nationals, which are just two days, Friday and Saturday. But it's going to be pretty cool, Darren, because now people can come to Carlisle with uh, essentially a, a renewed peace of mind. 
Uh, we were always confident coming into our season that we were providing a, an in-depth uh, health safety measure to uh, to keep everyone safe. Uh, certainly, there's some personal accountability involved as well, and we would always encourage folks that if they're not feeling well to you know consider staying home, etc. But we have a very comprehensive COVID-19 plan at carlisleevents.com slash COVID-19. That's slash C. COVID-19. And when you come out to Carlisle for the Chevy show this coming week, what you're going to see is a really cool set of displays that are GMs of the 70s and 50 years of the LS6 454. We have a solid lifter showroom, 50 years of the Monte Carlo, and there's going to be a big Eastern National Meet hosted by the First Gen Monte Carlo Club. We're bringing TV host and author Courtney Hansen to town on Saturday. And then, of course, you have the competitions like uh, – like the uh, the all new uh, exhaust contest, we have our mm. Carlisle Elite Awards. It's a participant based, judged show field. The National Parts Depot show field will always accommodate decades of bow tie excellence. And then there's going to be some some cool things that people are familiar with. Nitro Fest with Bruce Larson. Uh, we're going to have the ride alongs with uh, UMI Performance, the Real Street Shootout Friday night as mm. well. So it is uh, it's normal again. You know the 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 joke coming out of spring carlisle was after it was all said and done the uh the the biggest piece of normalcy was that it rained during the show like <laughs> we, we we got through everything else and then oh rain thanks Excellent. but we're, we're excited and, and you know carlisleevents.com is the one-stop shop and 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 so many people you know i i i feel bad touting it but at the same time i really have to say it like your friends and i don't mean your friends darren i just mean like in general people's mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. they're great resources for for a lot of things they're good drinking buddies they're uh shoulders to put your head on when you're feeling down but sometimes the information your friends share with you may not be accurate mm-hmm. and right. uh, i love the vendors that we have here at carlisle i love our customers they, they without them we certainly wouldn't be doing what we're doing all these years later but the stories that these folks share with regards to the status status of our events is amazing mm-hmm. if you would like accurate information correct information just come to to our website at carlisleevents.com. Call us. And if your buddy tells you something and you're like, eh, you know, I don't know, don't tell the next guy. Call us to get confirmation. Sure. It's, it, it'll, it'll squash a lot of rumors and innuendo that way. Very good. Yeah, and that's, that's really why we wanted to have you on the opener of the show is just so that people are aware before they, you know, as they get ready to, to make the trip in, that they know exactly straight from the horse's mouth what's happening. So appreciate Well, that. it's, you know, it better to get it from the horse's mouth than the other end that's for sure <laughs> that's right that's right totally agree well anything else that you want to share with the listeners or is that about for this week that gets us uh, up to speed I think the, the the closing note is that we certainly want to thank all of the vendors and the customers that came to Spring Carlisle, the ones that stuck it out when there was a bit of a cloud hanging over our head, literally and figuratively, and the ones that once they had some clarity on what was happening, that they came out and further supported us. But, you know, the success that we've seen in the last week certainly didn't come at a cost. So if someone wants to support us, CarlisleEvents.com, buy some tickets you can gift your tickets. Maybe you can't come yourself, but you can give the gift of a car show. Mm-hmm. So uh, any any help is uh, is greatly appreciated. And and I guess maybe the biggest thanks can go out to not only our legal team but the legal team of the state of Pennsylvania. Collectively, they work together to come to uh, you know an amicable end to a situation that uh, turned a lot of eyes on America's auto- 
automotive hometown the last couple of days. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Mike. And I'd like to send a special shout out to the entire team at Porsche Mechanicsburg. Before I throw it to the fellows for the current installment of the Intercast series, I have two trivia questions this week, and that's in direct honor of Sam and Lou's rise. We have two cars, the 1970 Buick Skylark belonging to Lou and Sam's 1973 Chevy Nova. So question number one, in the second generation of the Buick Skylark, which ran from the years 1968 to 1972, what was the largest available power plant? Question number two. This one is in honor of Sam's car. Can you name at least two attributes that were introduced to the Nova in the 1973 production year? All right, we'll have all that after the show, and I'm going to throw it to the guys now. Thank you, Darren, for that introduction. And on today's episode, Sam and I are going to wind the clock back to actually how we were introduced to Darren and the CFC team with our first episode that originally aired on February 12, 2019, episode 45, Muscle Car Millennials. Sam and I are going to give a project car update, uh, how both of us have taken, which uh, to my knowledge, my car definitely didn't run in February. Sam, did yours? No, no, it didn't. It didn't run till that summer, I don't think. Cool. So two non-running driving cars that didn't have any cool suspension, that didn't make any cool noises to now fully inspected, registered, and insured, and ultimately on the road, in part thanks to the coronavirus quarantine, one of the silver linings, if you will, of what ended up coming out with it. So Sam, we talked a little bit earlier in terms of how we wanted to break this podcast down to make it somewhat streamlined, although usually you and I both tend to tangent. Do you want to kick us off, maybe start just where we were at last February, you can start with your car or at least explain what your car is for our listeners. Go sure. Yeah. So my car is a 1973 Nova. I have, it's a little bit different though. It's kind of a Frankenstein car. It's got a 69 front end and rear end on it. Uh, when I got the car, it started up, but I'm pretty sure when we brought it back to the house, didn't we just like immediately rip the engine out of it? Um, yeah, and transmission trailer that was not safe, although it was probably overbuilt for the need. I believe we drove it into the garage. Yeah, we drove it into the garage and then immediately ripped everything out of it, essentially. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty much, and that would have been 2018. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know. I mean, my car did run in February 2019, but not at its current state. Because the last time it was running prior to currently, the car was... Uh, all on stock suspension, all pretty worn out, uh, bushing, suspension, everything was was pretty rough on it. Had a very uh, noticeable sag on the driver's side where it sat. It was almost like an inch lower on the driver's side. Uh, it drums the whole way around, so you'd lock up the brakes on it, and it would just want to take you to the right. It didn't matter. So if you had a hard stop in front of you, you better hope there wasn't a ditch next to you. And it wasn't a bad running car when we got it running initially. Uh, we pulled the engine out, painted everything, went over gaskets, stuff like that, and threw it back in and drove that for maybe 300 miles before I ripped the whole thing down again because mainly because of you and what you were doing with your car and keeping up with the Joneses and all that. So, Lily, tell me about, tell me about your car when we got it, whenever that was. That would have been March of 2018. So I had a 2008 Pontiac G8 GT. 
that I sold. Uh, this was shortly after buying the Charger that I no longer have, but that was really the car that you and I focused on for most of that year, 17 into 18. So you, myself, and your dad, Brian, had a pretty epic road trip out to Michigan, really scenic drive, especially on the way back following Lake Erie, pretty much all throughout Michigan into Ohio, into Pennsylvania. I actually don't even know if Lake Erie touches Ohio or touches it's one of those lakes. Yeah, I mean, it's out there. So uh, we went out in early March, bought the car. Oh, don't forget, we had a, a nice little stop off there at Summit in uh, Tallmadge, Ohio. Yep, we stopped. Uh, the three summit. of us. You should have bought brakes. I should have brought rear brakes while I was there, and I didn't, and I regret it still to this day. And my pap and my dad don't let me live it down, and neither do you. I mean, why not? Uh, so this is a 1970 Buick Skylark. Nothing too special about the car. It was a 352 barrel that was restored in 2009. Uh, it was painted a really pretty shade of turquoise that's referred to in the Buick world as Aqua Mist. Oldsmobile has a different name color for it. It's GM code 34. WA9077 is the non-PPG paint code. And there's a reason I know that because I just had to order paint. But... It was pretty stock. Um, pretty much the guy painted it, got it back together just enough to run and drive onto a trailer because he then sold it to a gentleman in Texas who then sold it back to him 10 years later to the guy who originally restored it in Michigan. But car that I've always kind of been after, I, I've known about the car for 10, 11 years to date. So had to buy it. I knew I wanted to do a pro touring style build, so bought the car in March and started ordering parts, I guess, that summer of 18. So we're fast forwarding the clock a little bit to when... Well, and Lou, real quick, when you got that car, so pretty much everything was restored on it down to, like, they even restored factory markings in the on the... Uh, firewall. firewall. Yeah, wow, well, couldn't think of that. On the firewall, but I remember, wasn't... It had a, a bench seat, right, when you got it that was pretty jacked up? Yeah, it was down to the springs. Uh, the interior was all original. It did have a new carpet, but a lot of – it was a Michigan car, so it didn't really get hammered with sun. But, you know, four-year-old interior and that, that vinyl, uh, the bench seat was totaled out. Door panels are okay. Uh, dash pads are all right. But it's still like I wouldn't say that's restored. That's phase two of my build would be interior next. Uh, yeah, but the full exterior and mechanicals were all fully restored. Yeah, laser straight car, really no orange peel, really nice bla uh, base coat, clear coat. It, it's just overall a pretty good looking car. Uh, super straight, had a lot of NOS quarters, NOS fenders, uh, clean doors. The undersides, it wasn't a frame off. It's a frame on, so... It's 40 years old on the underside or 50 years old, I should say. But overall, nice driver. Very pretty car. Just didn't run great or stop great or – well, actually, it shifts really good. It's a brand-new transmission. <laughs> that's the only thing it did well. So fast forward. Um, in February of 2019, when we first met Darren, at the time I had my car uh, – I had everything done suspension wise and brake wise. So I guess I could start there with the suspension. We'll parlay that into your suspension or should I do suspension and brakes? No, let's just talk about both of them. I mean, we went a very similar path 
you know, these are different body cars, but we ended up going a very similar route. So we could just kind of talk about that because there's not a huge amount of difference between what we decided to do here. Yeah. And I think for both of us, we had similar intentions with the car. We wanted something that if an autocross event was a hundred miles away, for example, we wanted to be able to drive the car, enjoy the ride, not a, a straight race car where it's loud, it vibrates, it handles on a dime, but if you're not going fast, you're not having fun type thing. Uh, something that we can get in and cruise 100 miles, go put up a respectable showing at a track type event in an autocross, which is usually, if, if you don't know, it's a large open parking lot with a cone set up course where you're racing against the clock to beat your best time. Um, Unfortunately, the- neither of our transmissions are set up for that right now. No, we or not our transmissions, our rear ends. Yeah, well, both have poor gears there, but we'll get there. We had good highway highway gears though. Oh yeah, yeah, the cruise is like a dream. Yeah, I could do 85 at like 1800 RPM. Um, so with that being the intent of each car, we felt that the best bang for our buck was ultimately ride tech suspension, which is definitely on the pricier end in terms of just overall suspension setups, but they're most well known for being the best combination of ride quality plus performance and handling. Yeah. And that's not to say we didn't look at other brands and there's some other brands out there that I really, I, I, I would have gone with UMI over ride tech if they had anything for the X bodies, which they don't currently. I talked to them at Carlisle last year and they said that was something they were going to work on developing, but they at this time didn't have it. And, you know, some of the other, the big ones that you'd see would be Hotchkiss. They do stuff for both of our cars and uh speed tech does stuff i know they do it for x body i'm assuming they do it for yep and i'm trying to think if there's anybody else that we even considered i know speed tech had a little bit of a different setup theirs was like uh a torque arm setup was one of theirs i looked into that pretty heavily uh but i think i was swayed to go ride tech after i saw the quality of your parts uh when they all came in and i was just obsessed after that so i followed suit my, so I was going to do a, a Frankenstein suspension setup, taking uh, coilovers from one company, sway bar from another, upper and lower control arms, and a drop spindle from a third, which Detroit Speed would have been most of it. They are much more on the race end of the spectrum, and especially for Corvette Cor- uh, Camaro, that's their claim to fame. That's what they do the best, uh, but they have an A-body setup. They have an X body setup. Uh, obviously a lot of the F and X body have similarities, at least on the front end. Uh, if not, are they hundred percent the exact same? Um, a lot of that stuff transfers over. I mean, when you're talking early Camaro and, and third gen Nova, yeah, it, you could swap a lot of that stuff back and forth. Yep. And for me, ride tech had a 100% bolt on kit. So there's really nothing I had to do to, modify the car in any way uh, with their kit specifically. And then for you, it had a really nice bolt-in four-link setup. Yeah, which so that's like a big difference between our cars is my rear suspension was uh, multi-leaf and that just wasn't doing it for what I was looking for. So I wanted to get the coilovers all the way around. So that means I needed to find, you know, a, some sort of suspension, whether that be a torque arm, whether that be a four-link or whatever uh, after seeing all your parts come in and just you know looking at the quality and realizing that hey this is kind of the way i want to go 
talked to the guys over at Matt's Classic Bowties, which you bought from them too, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, so those guys were awesome, by the way. Free plug for them. If you're looking for speed parts, definitely give those guys a call. They were great for both me and Lou. Uh, but I saw the, the quality of your parts that came in, and you know, after doing some price comparisons and stuff like that, ended up going with the four-link rear with the coilovers, you know, whole way around, the tubular A-arms, the drop spindles. Uh, if we want to talk brakes, ended up going with Willwood six pistons in the front. I know you went with Bear the whole way around. Uh, that's, you know, one of the minor differences, I guess, we have in our car there. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, for me, when it came to parts that, I wasn't going to replicate or replace it all. Uh, money was spent on the front end doing it right the first time was a really a theme and a continuing theme for me. For my brake setup, my suspension setup. So for me, it was it was doing it right the first time, meaning you know spending money where I wanted to spend money that I knew I'd have this car for ten years down the road and never want to change it. So that came with brakes, suspension. We both went right tech stage two coilover kit for ride height adjustability and coilovers are cool uh they're on the fly tuning as well although we don't really know what the hell we're doing when it comes well to it it also gives you the the rebound adjustability to adjust your your spring rate rebound which uh, i realized on my first drive i never set my rears and uh i had a huge oversteer problem i actually dialed it in a little bit and took it for a ride the other day it's i only I still need to stiffen it up a little bit or soften it up a little bit. And I think I can dial that in, but I mean, that's been fun trying to learn that. I know when I first set it up, I had the fronts at half and the rears at full stiffness. And I was doing about 70 miles an hour through a turn and I could feel the rear end wanting to push it through because it was a lot stiffer. So as soon as I started backing that off and I got to keep backing it off, you know, that's, that's definitely going to affect the ride quality. So can't wait to actually get doing that. Yeah. Which, you're farther past the finish line than I am. Although some of it's not my fault, but the only difference break wise for you, your Willwood six piston in the front um, bears 13 inch four piston caliper in the front. And then I do have rear disc brakes. That is a bear. It's called the T4 system. That's uh, a 13 inch rotor in the front with dual uh, four piston. And then in the rear, it's 12 inch with four piston as well. Um, love the kit, easy installation. That was really the thing with, for you and I both, uh, when you're buying quality stuff, right? It's pretty easy to assemble with the directions they offer. I mean, for literally for my shocks for the coilovers, I had to drill out the top shock mounting hole to three quarters of an inch and they gave me a template, although I could have found where I had to go anyway, but just super easy installation and, and direct bolt-on for, and I mean, they include everything down to the cotter pins, grease, uh, geez, what am I forgetting? Stickers. Everything. Everywhere. Well, yeah, if, I mean, if this sounds like a, a love letter to, to ride tech, that's because it is. We I mean, I could, in a heartbeat. you know, cause I've never done a full suspension. You've never done a full suspension on a car from top to bottom. I mean, I ripped everything out of my car, ripped the entire drive train out. Uh, the rear end was out. Everything was completely out and, you know, just nights after work. And then with the pandemic and everything getting shut down uh, during that time, I was also moving. So I was up against the time frame and just being in there and you could figure everything out and just 
other than I, I did have one issue where, so I had to weld tabs onto my rear end. Uh, for the four link, it's a triangulated four link. So you have two bars that come down right outside your diff housing. And basically they keep your, uh, your rear end from shifting. So my dad and I, we spent hours and hours and hours dialing it in my rear end. And this is pretty common in all cars. The tolerances weren't that great from the factory. My rear end was over three quarters of an inch shifted. Uh, so, you know, if I put the same wheels with the same offset, one would be rubbing, the other one would be fine, you know? And so we, you know, set pinion angle, made sure everything was good there. Well, then we go to weld and we're using the snap on welder that you had down here and had no idea why, but there's something wrong with the voltage to the gun and didn't find that out until after about four hours of trying to weld four tabs on had to have my stepbrother come up in a pinch because I'm moving in two weeks and I still don't even have the rear end in. And so my stepbrother, Tyler came up, he tried it out and he goes, yeah, this thing is jacked up. I'm going to use my welder. He was done in like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, well, oh my God. Tyler's also a welder for a living. So yeah, hell of a nice welder. I mean, it, he wasn't overly thrilled with his welds, but if you'd asked me, they're beautiful. So they're better than anything that came out of the factory. That's Oh great. yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, thanks to quarantine, really, I, I also went through a move. We unfortunately don't live together anymore, which was probably the two, three best years of my life. Uh, but I moved in November. Well, I moved into this house in October, but you brought the car up to me in November, mm-hmm. which almost killed us. Well, almost killed me because there was still everything was set up. It was a roller. Uh, it didn't run. It had zero brakes and I don't know what else it didn't have interior. It was, it was just a roller. Uh, yeah. And as we were unloading it in pitch black with it being a mix of rain and sleet, my uncle, uh, who he doesn't know this to this day that he almost killed me because he's a sensitive guy and he might get offended. And I hope he doesn't listen to this. We had the car strapped down pretty well. We had five straps, four plus a safety. Well, his was the last strap that was holding anything down. And as I'm going to drag out the straps in the front of the car, which is on a slight angle, I hear a click. The next thing I know, I have a bumper into the back of my skull and my face just plants off the deck. And if my dad and Sam weren't there to stop it from rolling, it would have run me over. And that car at the time had headers on it, long tube headers and it's probably only two inches off the ground, so I would have gotten scraped like a buck. Yeah, but, you you would have gotten destroyed with that. That was a close call. But it hasn't killed me yet. Um, and really, I was able to dial everything in suspension-wise. There wasn't much to do. Got the brakes finally bled with the help of my girlfriend, although she did not want to do that for me. Uh, they actually need to be re-bled, but story for another day. And I've, I've been driving a little bit. I mean, I've only gone probably two miles. You came up that one day. Uh, I came down to you the one day to help button some stuff up. But it's certainly been a learning process. We're going to have to figure out our first event we're going to go to. Once they're, we're yeah. allowed to do uh, events again, yeah. They're running an autocross at Pocono this weekend. I just can't make it. Uh, my car could be ready. Well, you have <laughs> hours to sign up. Um, uh, one more thing on brakes before we go any further. Uh, so the difference you went with the bear brakes and they are absolutely beautiful. 
now I was trying to watch my budget and, you know, all I could afford at the time was the front six piston Willwood brakes. I went with stainless steel tubing, uh, redid all of the brake lines, uh, the prop valve, which I had kept the factory drums in the rear, you know, did all new rear drum brakes, uh, kept that all factory. And then I just have my, my adjustable prop valve. I'm a little skewed more than normal towards the front brakes since they're discs. But that's part of the reason I keep continually getting made fun of for not buying those rear brakes that were on the uh, the clearance shelf at Summit. And I was like, I should buy these. I should buy these. And everybody was telling me to. And I was like, oh, no, I don't need them. Well, that would have completed my car. And I should have done it. And I didn't. And kicked myself for that one. Uh, how about you just give a high level of what your engine is and your transmission combination rear end? Yeah, so nothing special. Uh, it's just a Chevy 350. It's, I mean, there's I, the guy who I got it from. So well, I actually got it from mystery my uncle. Cam. What's that? It's a mystery cam. It is a mystery cam. So I'm told there's a cam in it. Sure. Maybe, you know, and I, I haven't pulled it, you know, I haven't done any of the internals on it. I don't plan on keeping that engine. You know, I have a long-term plan to LS it at some point. Uh, but then I have that runs back to a turbo 350. So that was giving me some problems when I initially had it driving around on the old suspension setup. I remember I was out at, I was down at Capital City Mall. I had taken it, that's what, maybe eight miles from our house at the time? Something like that? Yeah, so I drove it down one night just to stretch its legs a little bit. And I go to park it, and it doesn't go back into park. So I'm like, okay, well, this is probably pretty, you know, it's probably an adjustment. Uh, I just, you know, I hop under the car. Everything's fine. I have no idea what's going on. Doesn't want to go back into park. Doesn't want to go back into park. So I get it home. Uh, and that's, that was part of the impetus for ripping it down again. And I knew I was buying suspension anyway. So I was like, oh, I'll rip it out. So I ripped that out. We sent it down to a transmission shop down near Carlisle and had it completely rebuilt with a shift kit in it uh, by a guy who did incredibly good work. And then that goes back to just a 10 bolt, eight and a half rear, uh, nothing special in it. It's two, seven, three gears. So it's a little bit of a pig when you step on, it doesn't have a great, you know, low end torque. Um, I've been looking at gears for it and I actually counted all the splines. I was like, Oh, who knows the last time this was changed. I thought I was going to see just disgusting fluid in there. I pulled it off. It looked like somebody had just put a seal on it and just put new fluid in it you know, prior to me getting it. So counted the splines was not happy to find that it had two seven threes. I'd like to be somewhere low to mid threes. I don't want to go up to fours yet, but somewhere like that. So got everything painted. Once we welded the tabs on, um, you know, painted back to the drive shaft threw everything back in. And like you were saying, I mean, at highway speeds, it's great. I don't have a tax setup on my car yet. Cause that's just one of the things I didn't get to yet. So I have no idea what I'm sitting at for RPMs when I'm cruising, but in conjunction with something we'll talk about later with our interiors, I mean, it, it's so much better. Uh, it just, it cruises right along and I've probably done with the new setup. I've probably driven it now. I'd say about a hundred miles in about two and a half, three weeks. It's been back on the road. So I put it through its paces a little bit. Yeah. Inspected by Lou Service Station, 1501 Lafayette Street, Scranton, Pennsylvania, zip code 18504. I know a guy that works there. Stop by and see Big Lou. He'll treat you right. 
which we should definitely tell the wheel story and how almost perfect has become a thing. We'll but, get there. And it's almost exact, which not important, but we'll get there. Perfect. But yeah, so I mean, we have similar running gears outside of our engines. Uh, I do have a big block, the Buick 455. It's board 30 over, so it's a 462 cubic inch, but that's really where the excitement ends. It's low compression, stock bottom end, cast pistons. Uh, I, I think it has a stock cam. I didn't build the motor, but it's got 70 heads, which are a 68cc cylinder head and have more competitive valves than what the later non-existent flowing 73 Buick heads would have that I did slap on there as well as an aluminum intake. 800 CFM Quadrajet backed by a turbo 350 transmission that may or may not survive behind the relatively tame 455. I think it'll be okay because it doesn't really have a lot of power. If I had 300 horsepower at the crank, I'd be shocked. Maybe 320. I don't don't know. And that goes to a 256 Posi rear end that came out of a, a 71 Buick Skylark, which I found cheap on Craigslist. I just needed something that would spin both tires. So, yeah, that's another thing. My car, luckily, is a posi at least. Yeah. So there is that. So I just got to figure out, you know, what gears I want to throw in it. And I think that's uh, a two, a carrier two, because uh, I think that starts at two seven three and goes up. Yep. Um, so I just got to find gears to throw in that. But who knows what I'm going to end up doing with that entire drivetrain down the road? So that might not even be worth it. I think we're both back and forth between one manual trans and two that would probably dictate the rear gear. I'm thinking a 373 would be perfect. That's kind of what I'm thinking as well. Or a six speed or five speed, whatever budget allows, but that's plans down the road. Cool. So interior wise, your car was really nice well, when you got it. Before we move on to the interior, are there any other things you want to talk about, you know, your exhaust system, you know, while we're talking drivetrain, everything from, um, I know you mentioned, you know, you've got aluminum intake and stuff, but what did you do with your exhaust? How you cool in the car? Like any of that stuff? Story about why you don't cheap out on parts when you could not have to cheat out. Yeah. That's just... I'm so mad. So, so this whole saga has happened within the last couple of weeks. Back in the start of quarantine, I needed an exhaust system. And the exhaust system I want, which is the coolest thing in the world because it's oval-shaped for low clearance, it's $800. I can't afford that right now. So I had in stock uh, – TA Performance is like the only aftermarket Buick performance company, period. And they do – I mean, if you want a 1,200-horsepower all – aluminum Buick big block you could get it through them but they do a lot exhaust stock replacement parts like they're just the go-to awesome guys so they have a really nice exhaust system which again without mufflers it's only 310 dollars which isn't too awful bad but i was being cheap and in stock i did have a set of their downpipes because previously mentioned i had long tube headers but with how low the car is ride height because of the drop spindles and just the suspension setup i couldn't go over like a crack in the road, let alone, you know, hitting a pothole or a speed bump with the headers. So they're back up in the rafters. Now I have stock Buick exhaust manifolds going to TA's two and a half inch downpipes, which are super nice pieces. And the only company that makes aftermarket downpipes for Buick that I know of where I cheaped out was the 181 
$50 universal two and a half inch A body kit from Jegs. I like Jegs. I've gotten stuff from them and like actually this is a decently made setup. But it doesn't fit at all. It's not even close. Um, there's full pipes that I didn't even use in the system. So I don't know if I bought a station wagon setup. I've been looking at part numbers. Uh, the biggest issue I have now is on my other 1970 Grand Sport that is almost done. I robbed the TA two and a half inch tailpipes from it because they're really nice in one piece and exit where they're supposed to in the stock Buick locations. This jack system isn't even close and it's a three piece tailpipe setup, which is ridiculous. So from the muffler back, you have three pieces. Well, the mufflers I bought should be the inlets should be all the way in and they should be center outlets. Well, I bought inlets all the way in, outset all the way to the outside of the car is the outlets, which aren't even close. So trying to rip off the exhaust today has caused me to damage one header, or I'm sorry, damage one muffler beyond repair. I just ripped it apart using an air chisel trying to get it off the car because it was, I don't know why, it just like welded itself together. I haven't welded it. It's just through clamps. But the gauge for the tubing is so thin that the clamps like literally clasp themselves together and just from running the car and the soot and you know everything being blown out of it from not running has like welded itself together it's a mess i'll send you pictures it's pretty bad so don't cheap out on exhaust is what i'm getting at i have the correct mufflers from jegs on the way they should be here saturday and hopefully i have enough meat left to place everything together but i feel like i'll be running to my dad's repair shop to get some spare tubing just to expand out and be able to install the mufflers because I cut everything up trying to make it fit. Tailpipes are perfect. Downpipes are perfect. TA performance is great. Car sounds great when it's running and has an exhaust because it has had one, but without tailpipes and previously having 10 year old plus gas running in it, it smoked bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's funny because I did the exact opposite. I didn't cheap out on exhaust and then still ran into a buttload of problems. Um, so the, the exhaust I had on the car prior to the suspension and brake upgrade, I, I had pipes violators, the X pipe all the way from the header back. I got the Summit brand uh, ceramic coated headers, long tube headers, which I have to say are absolutely phenomenal. If you have an X body, you do have to massage them with a hammer by the steering box on the one tube. Other than that, they fit great. They're not that expensive. And the thing I like the most about them is they tuck really well. So a lot of times, you know, you have long tube headers that sit down below where your subframe would sit, which causes you to hit stuff. You know, you, you bang them when you're coming across a speed bump and stuff. They sit almost flush with the bottom of the car, which I was really impressed by. So I get this this X pipe set up by pipes. I love the way it sound sounded. I used to love the way it sound, uh, but you know I've since changed my mind on that. It, great quality, absolutely great quality product, and it fit like a dream. It was easy to install. Loved it. Well, what I didn't take into consideration was that was built for a multi leaf car, and I switched over to a four link, which ran the over the the rear pipes directly through where the coilover was. So what I had to end up doing was going down to an auto zone late one night because I had about a week to get out of my house and buying every piece of two and a half inch pipe and every clamp and every single exhaust holder that they had and spent about seven hours under the car rerouting all of the piping 
and finally got it done, cut a bunch of pipe, uh, moved what I could. I don't have a mandrel bender, so I couldn't do any of that. Um, but finally got it working and I actually sold the, the violator mufflers on Facebook to a gentleman and ended up picking up the, the cherry bomb vortex mufflers. So the violate the violators, while they sound great, my car doesn't have the horsepower to be that loud. You know, for me, that's, that's a thing where it's like, if you have a loud car because it's a fast and, or it's a torque monster or whatever, that's one thing. If you have a loud car that's slow, I, I just don't care for it. And I had a loud car that was slow. So I sold those, bought the new mufflers. They're still probably a little bit loud for me, but in the flow tests, they're one of the better flowing cherry bomb mufflers. Um, they sound really good. I love the way they sound. Um, but again, maybe a little too loud for, for the lack of power. So got all that figured out. A couple other things in my car, um, of the, the Edelbrock or Edelbrock RPM intake manifold that my dad actually had and he had power co- or powder coated. And that intake, uh, holds a very special place in my heart because that intake was the very first thing that Lou and I bonded over. Uh, he had come, he had come over to my house and the intake was sitting there and, you know, he had mentioned something about it and Lou and I had just met for, you know, the first time a couple days before, I think. And, and we kind of started talking cars and that's really in my head. That's a, that's a big part of why we've been such good friends is because we're, we're both car guys, but I always bring it back to that intake manifold, which is currently on my car. So nice powder coating too. Yeah. yeah well, my dad was going to use it on his car and then he ended up going big block route and, you know, he changed a million things and, as as is wont to happen, but sitting on top, of that's a 750 double pumper Holly uh, off his car, which uh, Lou and I had some fun trying to figure out how to get my quadrajet to work. Uh, decided that was never going to happen, uh, just because those finicky things. Never want to see one of those again. Love them. Nope. Went with the double pumper. Love it. It's absolutely great. Uh, had to put a, a one inch uh, spacer, open spacer in it, uh, due to where the the heater hose comes in it hits right where the fuel line comes in so had to get a little creative there ended up buying a champion a secondhand champion radiator off a guy off facebook i bought this like two years ago great price never even thought to check the threads on the transmission cooler reservoir so i get it put in i reversed the wiring on the fan so it became a pool fan not a push fan mounted it, got everything in there. We're all great. Okay, well, now I need to rebend my transmission lines. So I rebend them so that they're exactly where I want them to be, got them tucked up real nice. Uh, the radiator's offset to the driver's side of the car a little bit to clear um, the front pulley system. So then I'm like, all I got to do, I have spent like four or five hours on this. All I had to do is just screw them in. Here, all the threads are completely stripped out. So I had to run down, get a transmission cooler, go down to AutoZone, got a transmission cooler, came back. It was defective, had to put another one on. And this is all like a couple weeks before I need to move. So now I have a transmission cooler uh, because I have to and electric fan setup, which the electric fan setup was only like the only reason I ended up going that way is because whatever radiator was in my car when I got it was not out of this car. There's no possible no. way because I bought every fan shroud for like every car from 1969 to 1974 that GM made 
and I actually still have one for like an El Camino sitting in the in my garage. So I tried every single fan trout I possibly could. None of them fit this. So I was like, screw it. I'm going electric fans. I'm not dealing with this anymore. So that's where I ended up. And, you know, of course, nothing's ever easy. That's why you buy brand new parts like your ride tech stuff. Everything fits together like a dream. Buying secondhand, you can make you can get good deals. But boy, sometimes, you know, you're on the wrong end of that one. Yeah, but then you don't spend multiple nights up until 430, three days before you have to move to get a car done. I don't know whose point you're trying to make right now. I would love to not stay up till 4:30 in the morning because I have to reroute all my lines now to fit. So, interior should be pretty easy. Neither one of us have done anything drastic yet, although we do have plans. Your interior was really nice coming into it. I think your uncle spent the money to get that all done or Yeah, I think my uncle had it reupholstered like not long before I got it. And the dash pad in it is incredible. Uh, it's in great shape, surprisingly so. Um, there's some things that need done there, but you know, as as an existing state, it was great. It needs a headliner and needs door panels. But since the doors are off of a 69 to a 72 instead of a 73 like it is, I need to find door panels. And I've been real picky. I've missed a couple deals, so one day I'll get those. Yeah, and for me, door panels were decent. Dash was really nice. Headliner's got one little rip in it, but not a big deal. I need Yeah, but it was pretty it. nice other than that one rip, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably so. never going to touch it. New carpet. The new carpet. The rear seat's fine. I had to buy a package tray covering for the rear, but that's in. The only thing I had to do was get rid of that bench seat, and I have plans for what I want to do eventually. Oh, and I put a, a Buick Sport rally wheel on it that you'd find in like a – 72 to 78 Corvette, I guess. As well as a couple other cars. It's the three-spoke nice wheel. Outside of that, though, the seats were so bad. So 68 to 72 A-body seats within GM are all the same frame, just different coverings and, in some cases, headrest depending on the year. Actually, it's 69 to 72. 68s didn't come with headrests, to my knowledge. But my dad had a set of seats that we knew were, we thought were Chevelle Malibu. We didn't actually know. Well, when I welded in the new brackets and started to, to fit the seats, I did find a build sheet for a 70 Chevelle big block car. It's uh, no idea where the car is. I still have the build sheet. If anyone is missing the a build sheet for their 70 Chevelle that was produced in Baltimore, I think. I don't remember. I have it. Black car black seats if you need it let me know but the seats are now in my car for the time being because again i just needed something to get me down the road i do have plans for my seats but again plans cost money and that's money i don't have to spend on a car right now yeah so lou before we go any further i i we kind of glossed over this we probably should have talked about this earlier but uh tell me about your wheels because i'm absolutely in love with your wheels my wheels are one of the things i bought secondhand that really worked out and i got hooked up i mean yeah, you got a, a phenomenal deal on that yeah we had to go pick them up at a, a freight carrier like two days before i went to florida for work so there's one other guy that well there's a few pro touring buicks pro touring buicks out there this particular guy is a car that i always loved 
and he bought these custom order. They're Forge Star F14 deep concaves in the rear, which are an 18 by 11. In the front are just Forge Star F14. So not the biggest name in terms of aftermarket wheels, but they're mostly outfitting exotic cars and, and some muscle cars. They'll build you anything you want. Give them the backspacing, wheel size, etc. They'll make it happen. So these are an 18 by 11 in the rear, like I said, and then an 18 by nine in the front. He also had brand new BFG rival tires on front and rear. Uh, the rears are 315, 35, 18. The fronts are a 275, 35, 18. They have like 70% tread wear or better. They're almost new really. Yeah, they're in real good shape. And, and he really hooked me up. And I mean, they were, it was like two grand for the set delivered to our freight carrier. It had to be $200 in shipping alone. But uh, the only thing that was a little bit of a learning curve for both of us was figuring out proper wheel studs, uh, which is still an ongoing problem in the front. But in the rear, I do have the correct wheel studs and the super thin lug nuts required to be able to get it in, in and out, getting a, a socket on it, making sure they're torqued down, et cetera. Um, your wheels are where almost exact slash almost perfect were born. Yeah. Before we even get to that. So Lou came down uh, a couple weeks before I moved and he brought down the fronts cause the, the 18 by 11s never would have fit in the stock wheel tubs of the Nova. Just the Nova wasn't graced with very much space. You know, uh, you can go with the DSC, uh, mini tub kits, and it's actually a relatively easy process, uh, but you do have to modify your rear seat, and I just didn't really feel like doing that at this time, and quite frankly, didn't have the time to do it. So I test fit my wheels with what he had, and it was I, it was beautiful. I'm still so in love with those wheels. I would love to be able to get them. However, I could not budget that to buy them new. So Lou got a great deal. If I could have found that deal you know, for a similar set for my car, I would have jumped on it immediately, but finding, you know, secondhand wheels for a pro touring car isn't as easy as you'd think. So I went down a rabbit hole of learning offset and backspace and, uh, tire diameter and, and just everything. And it was a nightmare because it was so much math that I felt like I was never right on. My original plan was to do 18 by eights in the front and 18 by nine and a halfs in the rear. But unless you're getting a custom wheel made, you're pretty much at the behest of the manufacturer. So you're very limited in your offset with a or in your backspace with a zero millimeter offset car. You're pretty much limited to on uh, like what would be a nine and a half or a nine inch rim or nine and a half inch rim would be a five and a half inch backspace, which would push it all the way out to where it hit the outer fender. Now, the car can fit 275s if you have the right backspace, which my old Kragers did, but they weren't tall enough to clear my brakes. So, ended up going with the American Racing Rodders. It's a black multi-spoke rim with the chrome lips, zero millimeter offset. Um, unfortunately, I could only go 18 by 8s the whole way around. Ended up going with a 23540 R18 in the front and a 24540 R18 in the rear. And went with, spent, and just a, a word to the wise, if if you're going to skimp on anything, don't do, don't skimp on tires. I thought about it. You can get some general tires out there for like 60 bucks a pop. Um, but, you know, why, those are your four contacts to the road. So why, why 
try to save a dime there. So I went with the Continental Extreme Contacts. Uh, so far, they've been an absolutely great tire. I mean, you know, I had a WRX that I had Pirelli's I put on. Um, I would put them in the same class as those, if not better. Obviously, comparing two different kinds of cars, but, you know, pretty solid tire, and they don't really break the bank. So what I wanted to do was get my tires and wheels mounted and balanced uh, with Lou. Which I had some I had some stuff that I needed to take up to him, and luckily my wheels and tires had come in. So it just made sense just run up there. Storm. Yeah, just run up there. We'll knock it out in a day. We'll drop everything off at Lou's house. We'll go down to the service station. We'll get these things put on. No problems. Right, Lou? No problems. Still don't think there were any problems. They now have character. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Their yeah. perfect character across the board, though. All four. Yeah, yeah, very... Mark. Yeah, so when... 16 marks total. So we couldn't put the wheels on on the backside, right? I don't even remember why we couldn't. So, be, well, when tires have a... Two reasons, really... When a tire has a thin sidewall, plus you're putting it on a, a big wheel like an 18 by 8, and it doesn't have a lot of width, so in this case a 245, which were the more difficult ones, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the, well, but we also did the 235 seconds, so we were we had kind of established a system yeah. by that point. So, so yeah, I guess in theory, by what I'm saying, the 235 would be worse. So anyway, what I'm getting at is when you have a thin sidewall and a big tire – there isn't a lot of flex to stretch as you're moving the tire around the rim. So you have to be really particular. Our, and our machine really is specialized for rims that are, you know, 14 inches in width up to like 17. And when they're 17s, they're usually a truck tire. So they're a 265, 55, 17. Yeah, you're running like a minimum 60 right. aspect ratio as compared right. to the, the 40s that I was running on a, a 245 and a 235. The reason you start and you put the back of the tire, what would be inside on the car down first is because when you're coming around for the second swoop to get the second bead, which would be the outer bead of the tire, you're not putting all the force onto that chrome outer lip. You're putting all the force in the initial part to the back inner lip, which you ultimately won't see if you gouge up. So it's just a safety really. What ended up happening was the way we were mounting your tires face down, it was eating into your chrome lid with the claw feet. Yep. Which, after the first tire, we're like, oh, like even before the first tire, we put down electrical tape, we put down masking tape. Tape both the rim, tape the claws, you know, thinking with, I don't know, like a 16th or no, probably more than that, like an eighth of an inch of padding in there that they wouldn't bite in. And boy, were we wrong. Yeah, so that's where me, Sam, my dad, my dad's worker, Polly, a.k.a. Harry Potter, because it kind of looks like Harry Potter. We were all just laughing. I mean, no one was laughing. It wasn't funny. But I was just like, well, it's it's almost exact. What else do you want? Um, honestly, if, if this was like, if you weren't a friend and you were a customer, you would have been pissed. So appreciate you not being pissed. I will say they balanced out perfectly. Yeah, almost exactly. But they yeah, uh, a quarter of an ounce is good enough for me. You know, it's funny. I was telling my dad about it and I was 
And he's like, well, you know, are, are you upset about them having all the bites in them? And I was like, not really. I said, you know, it's one of those things that when I look at it, for me, it's like, well, I remember all four of us, you know, crowded around this tire, your dad yelling at us, Sam, push down, push down. Like, you know, yeah, everybody well, getting involved. You know, it was one of those things that it, there's a memory attached with it, just like everything on the car, you know, like nothing on the car other than the ride tech suspension <laughs> went well. Everything was hard. Everything didn't fit right. Everything required work to get to where it is. And, you know, the wheels were no different. And it, it's just a little constant reminder that I have always, you know, brings, you know, it brings a smile to me. I'm sure. Yeah. If I was somebody else that didn't know you that well, oh, I would have been pissed. But, you know, I like it. Well, and I mean, hey, that's the, the fun of building a car, especially when you're not replicating what the factory did. It's not fun at times. It's not fun at all. Uh, there's more cursing. And I mean, look at your hands and look at mine. I mean, there's scars everywhere, but you have a story to each one and it's part of the fun. So two things, I guess, in closing, I, I do have a question for you that you one have mileage on the car so you can attest to it. I really, I don't have much more than maybe five miles if we're lucky. Thanks and everything. To date, what has been your favorite modification that you could feel a difference or, I mean, the suspension is probably the easiest answer, but uh, like anything that you just point to and you're like, yeah, like this was totally worth the money and the time. Yeah. So, well, because the suspension is not completely dialed in, um, I, I can't really, I, I mean, it, that's the easy one. It really is. Um, it, the whole car needs to go up at least a quarter of an inch. I have some rubbing issues, which I kind of foresaw. Um, I thought I had it high enough. I need to go a little bit higher just some minor, minor rubbing on the front end. So bring that up a quarter inch, bring the rear up a quarter inch, should be good to go figure out my rebound rate a little bit better. I should be great. Um, but because I, let me say the biggest thing for me was the brakes. Uh, that car scared me the way it was set up when I was driving it around with the, you know, uh, I, I also don't have power brakes. They're manual brakes. Uh, I stayed with the manual brakes. I really like the feel of that. I like the connection. Um, I think that's great. But the old manual drums the whole way around. If you locked it up, you didn't feel like you were going to stop in a straight line. You didn't feel like you had control. And now, um, after some bleeding mistakes, me and my dad uh, bled everything and kept finding leaks and you know, it, whatever we, we got everything done and I can be doing 90 miles an hour and step on it. And I know I'm going to stop and I'm going to stop quickly. And, you know, I have aspirations as soon as I ever put the seatbelts in, because I forgot to do that when I soundproof the cab, um, I want to take my niece and my nephew for a drive. Well, to me, it's really important to have a car that can stop. So that for me has been the biggest one. So just to be clear, you had your seatbelts in it before we inspected it, but then you took them out to clean them. Well, no, I took them out to do the. No, uh, no you're not following. No, I took them out to do the uh, the under or the soundproofing. Yes, perfect. Oh yeah, well, which because that's well, actually and that's something, something we didn't bring, we up, bring up. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So I pulled everything out to do that, and then when I put them back in, I'm standing there and it's like four in the morning, and I have to work the next day, and I'm looking at all the work I got done put, you know, did the entire interior, um, pretty much all the way up to the, the package tray in the rear, soundproofed everything, put everything back in. I'm standing there. I'm 
feeling pretty good about myself. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm missing something. I turn around and there's all the seatbelts. I have two sets of seatbelts for it. One that my pap got me and one that was out of my dad's Camaro. So I was going to put the Camaro belts in it. And where are they sitting? On the floor behind me. And I was like, oh, I don't have time to get this back in right now. You know, it is what it is right now. So, Louie, you want to talk real quick on the soundproofing that we both did? Because I actually took the idea from you and kind of ran with it. Yes. Something I got off a forum years ago, Dynamat, and there's other names, Lizard Skin, uh, Cool It, I believe, is one of it. One of them. You could do all that. Really, what it is is just a jute padding that is uh, similar to like a roofing quick patch. So we both use the same, I believe, right? Quick roof is what you used. For the first three rolls, yeah, but then to go up behind the rear seat, I didn't have quite enough, so I went and picked up whatever the Home Depot brand was. Yeah, I mean, for the quick roof stuff, you get it at Home Depot or Ace Hardware. It's like 16 18 bucks a roll, typically three rolls uh, or four if you're doing all the way up through the rear package tray and stuff. We'll, we'll get it done, but I mean, you could attest to it. You drove the car, and now you probably weren't listening for it specifically, but the biggest thing by far is the the road noise that it takes out of it. Uh, it probably cools it down a little bit, just keeping some of it, the insulation, heat radiation out. But definitely the road noise. That's that's a huge difference. Yeah. So instead of spending three four hundred bucks on Dynamat, you could spend sixty bucks, get the same type of product. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's I mean it's not bad to work with. It's it, all you need is a knife, and they come in six inch strips. I think they're. 30 foot long, if I remember correctly, the rolls and, you know, just hop in the side of your car and start going. Super easy. So my favorite modification I've done that we haven't talked about, uh, which is kind of lame to say because it's got cool suspension. It doesn't have a big block that it didn't come with from the factory, all these different things. Uh, I put all modern LED lights. Um, so doing the two cornering lights, the front uh, parking lights, the rear brake lights, tail lights rear reverse lights the license plate light the ambers in the rear as well as in the front like i mentioned did them all uh totally different looking i had to upgrade the flashers because of the new led lights don't have a lot of voltage coming from them so that the polarity of it does not activate the current turn signal switches um because uh, you have to ground them really for the new one so how to do that easy modification um, I also put four H4 halogen LED or H4 halogen modern uh, headlights in them, which super easy. I bought a, a harness off of eBay for like 30 bucks that I think is a Jeep harness. I don't actually know what it comes from, but it's all plug and play. You ground out each socket, you run a power wire directly to the battery, but you plug the uh, other end of it into the factory uh, you, you take literally, you take the low beam of whatever light is closest to where your wiring harness runs for the lighting. And that then a it's activated off of your dimmer switch. So it, it's like factory lights and obviously isn't drawing power all the time. Super easy. Um, I have low beams and high beams now. Previously, I only had high beams. I just think the bulbs were burnt out in the factory lights, but all, all in all, including the LEDs, I'm only into it for like 110 bucks. Um, easy upgrade. Uh, haven't had it on the road yet, but at least sitting in the driveway, you could clearly tell the difference in brightness because for those of us that have driven old cars, they didn't have the best headlights and 
brake lights, et cetera. So um, something of an upgrade that, yeah, it looks way cooler, but it also serves a purpose when it comes to safety. Yeah. And when you sent me the pictures of that, it was night and day difference. No pun intended. Literally. You know, it, it really was. And that's on my list. Luckily, my side markers are all deleted. So that's less stuff I got to buy. Um, also, yeah, I'll be doing that happened too. happened after we inspected the car. <laughs> I actually don't know what the, the legality is there. I I'm not actually sure. Legal. I bought the car like that. So that I'm just, you know, if I get pulled over for that, I'm like, whoops. Cool. Anyway, uh, Lou, last one. Uh, no, I got no, one last I question last for you. Question. But before that, the one thing I did want to bring up about both of our cars, another common thing that they share that we didn't bring up is, and quite possibly my second favorite upgrade to the car minus the suspension you know that's an easy one so i'm going to take that one out but we both upgraded our steering boxes without going you know you can go out and you can get a a saginaw you can go to cpp uh you can get a million different things you know rack and pinion in it yeah there's a lot you can do well me and lou we spent all our money on the suspension and the wheels and the brakes and we didn't want to go that route so you can go online and go to forums, go to Facebook pages, wherever, and they'll hook you up with a couple different interchangeable part numbers that you can get from other cars for a quick ratio steering box, which is going to be two and a half turns to lock. Mine was out of an 87 Monte Carlo SS. Lou, was your, yours was as well? Same part number, but technically it went back to a Grand National, keeping it in the Buick family. Yeah, and then I think you can also use some certain Jeep Cherokee boxes. Correct. There's some other stuff. Um, you upgrade the rag joint, which if I looked hard enough, I could find the part number for. And then called the guys over at Lee's Power Steering. They sent us two inserts to be able to convert the hoses, um, and they send you a little punch. Pop them in. I mean, yeah, a couple taps of the hammer. They're done. They're seated. It was Hook so up easy. your your factory pump and you're good to go. Uh, that's been a, because I've driven mine a little bit more and I drove my old one. Um, that that's a difference. It's a huge difference. You're going to love it too. I mean, it's just a lot shorter. Now I have a 14 inch wheel, which I think I got to change. I don't like how quite how small it is for you to a 15 inch wheel. I think I'll be better, but I mean, dude, you just, wherever you want to go, point it in that direction. It'll turn crank. Right. Yeah. Mine, uh, I, I did it before I did it. (laughs) It was, I think, like three and three eighths lock to lock with the old 14 to one. And now it's, you know, a hair over two and a half. Uh, you can just tell it's different. I also align my car in my garage using two five gallon buckets and some string. Mm-hmm. So that actually worked out well. So, Sam, in closing, if I can come to you and say, hey, congratulations, man. We're doing episode 1000 Cars of Carlisle five years from now, making $90,000 a year off of advertising alone plus $1 million in annual income because Darren hits it big and hooks us up. What's your car look like? Oh boy. Well, actually take the money out of it. Let's keep it realistic. Five years from now, what is your, your five year plan for the car? Yeah. So the five year plan for the car, um, this year yet, I'm, I'm still working on that. I, I don't know if I'll be able to do it this year, but I'm trying to swing it. I want the whole car painted. I'm going with a company or not a company. I'm sorry. A color. It's actually a Dodge factory color. You can see it on. Uh, I mean, you can see it on a new Dodge Caravan. You can see it on Jeeps. It's granite crystal metallic. It is a real dark gray. But depending on the lighting, it's a it's an absolutely beautiful color. 
And the first time I ever saw it was actually leaving Spring Carlisle with my dad. Companion your car after a minivan. Just throwing that one out there. Uh, they're also in Hellcats, so however you okay. want to cut that. But we walked out, and there was a Jeep Cherokee sitting there with that color on. And it was a half overcast day, half blue skies. And depending on where we looked at it, it it just it, it the way the color shifted. So want to do that. Want to upgrade the rear brakes to discs, Will Woods, which all I need to do is, you know, do the the rotors, calipers, everything in the back. Minor adjustment to the lines, and we're good. Now, following years up to the five year mark, the ultimate goal is to get. A uh, six-liter LQ9, and pull that apart, take the intake off, cam it, uh, do a little head work to it. Ultimate goal, I'd like to be in the 450 to 500 foot-pounds of torque range and whatever horsepower is associated with that. Um, you know, I want this to be a purposeful built car that where it's coming out of a corner, I can put the hammer down and it'll go. Um, ideally, that would probably have like a Holley – EFI or a Fitech, something like that. That would be ideal. Uh, Suspension-wise, the only thing I'd like to upgrade is to a true turn and a rack and pinion. And then with the engine, I'd like to mate that to a Tremec. Um, I'd love a six-speed. That would be great. Back to a four nine-inch built by Strange, with probably like we were talking earlier, three seven three gears. And hopefully by that point it would be mini tubbed and I can get bigger wheels and put a little more uh, rubber to the road in the back. Louis, in the next five years, where do you see your car? Yeah, so I think the immediate thing, probably next upgrade. Um, I call this car Project Stage 2R for two reasons. Stage 2 was a, a Buick program that never really got off the ground because of the emissions. But it was uh, their next step in, in really drag race inspired. So they made a Stage 2 head that was oval port, where the factory Buick exhaust ports were rectangular so i do have an aluminum set that ta performance makes of stage two heads and i bought them from who will be my engine builder so that's probably the next big step i think i'm going to go right to engine if i don't um and, and that will be all buick powered uh nothing too crazy it will be i mean i say nothing too crazy but again i want to be able to drive this like a daily driver if i had to so it will have uh you know direct injection fuel injection to each cylinder um, that's kind of a big thing. I don't want to do throttle body fuel injection, but 600, 650 horsepower will be the goal. Pretty attainable for what we're going to do with the heads. But if I don't do that, uh, interior will probably be where my focus is. I do have another set of buckets that we'll use as cores and there's a company legendary auto interiors that now makes bolstered seats in the factory style patterns. So Buick had a really cool deluxe waffle style interior. If you look at like a 69 Camaro that has the houndstooth interior, that orange. Um, now these obviously came in different colors, but it's that same waffle type pattern. So that'll probably be next step if I don't do the other part uh, being the engine, which would be much more expensive. I also want to do a six-speed transmission. Uh, I've been saying I'm going to do this car automatic using like a 4LED from GM for the trans controller and being able to let it talk to the EFI, but six speeds are more fun and yeah there's something about you know the driver response you're gonna get a lot more smiles when you're yeah. driving you know the six speed than you would the cool with an automatic and what pedal. we're doing uh the rear end 
I will probably keep an 8.5 Buick Golds Pontiac because my brackets for the coilovers are set up for that. And you can build those things to handle a thousand horsepower easy. Uh, there's a misconception that they're not a strong rear. Not true. I've seen it done. So that's probably where we'll go rear wise and the exhaust, like I mentioned, is the last big purchase, which it's cool. It's sold by a company, Ram Air Restoration. I hope they still make them because I've been looking at it for like three or four years, but they're awesome. Well, hey, uh, this is actually, I do have a personal question. How did your hood turn out? Because um, that's something you haven't talked about. And I think that goes along pretty well with, you know, the, the whole thing that you're going for with this car is while you're doing an intense amount of modification, you are doing a lot of tribute back to the Buicks of that era. So can you talk talk a little bit about that hood and also give me as your friend an update on how the hood scoop went? Uh, yeah, so... I cut a, a really good hole in it using just a an electric angle grinder and a, an air grinder. Uh, it came out perfect, which I'm shocked because almost exact, it's never good. It's dead on. My dad and I bolted the hood back on without the scoop, and it's dead center over the air cleaner. So similar to like an L88 Corvette or there were several other air cleaner styles that did seal it off to a functional hole in the hood or whatever it may be. We're going for that type of look. Buick again offered with this stage two program that did make one factory stamp steel hood. Well, it wasn't all one piece stamp steel. It was a bolt on steel fiberglass hood scoop that sucked air right in. And this is a fiberglass uh, recreation of it, which I am going to bolt on. So it went okay. The front holes are drilled and are perfect. I haven't drilled the scoop yet. What happened was the rear holes, when I was drilling them, the bit hit the inner structure underneath and it oblonged the holes a little bit and ultimately bent the hood up a little bit. So it needs some body work, but <laughs> we haven't painted it yet. Uh, hence why I knew what paint to order. What's well, a donor hood off uh, another car, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole nother hood. Yeah. It's yeah. A, one we had in stock. So uh, it'll be fine. I haven't bolted it on yet. I hope to get it painted by like the end of next week. Um, I go to the beach then. So at least I hope to give it back to my dad to get primed because I want to be driving this car when I come back from the beach. Well, on that note, I want to be driving my car with you when you get back from the beach. I have a few little fine tuning adjustments and throw my seatbelts back in and I am good to go. And hopefully, you know, everything in the world comes back to normal and we can go out and we can go to races and hopefully not blow up our cars and all the money that we've thrown into them. Um, but, you know, they were all built almost exact, so we probably will. Oh, yeah. No, mine's definitely going to blow up. But right now it has good oil pressure and temperature, so can't complain. Well, I don't have gauges for that, so mine has great both. They're well, both great up some gauges. because I don't know. Easy. That's another thing. I know. I know. Learned how to do gauge plumbing. Never did it before. It's so easy. Well, I'm I'm still looking for Stuart Warner green lines, and they're so stinking expensive. I'm just waiting for the right deal, and then I'll be throwing them in. Um, I did think about getting some cheap, you know, autometers or or something. I can't remember the other. Like Bosch makes some cheap ones, and um, that's you know, what I'm running right now is two cheap Bosch gauges. Yeah, but you have like 90 Stuart Warner gauges. So why aren't you running right. those? Because I built a whole instrument cluster and I'm just not ready to install it yet. I need a new tack. Yeah. So one day we'll get there. But uh, Lou, do you want to you take us out here? 
As always, we appreciate feedback. Thank you, Darren, for giving us the opportunity. Scott, what's up? I hope you're doing well. Everyone's staying safe. That's it. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. We are back to Studio A. Another fun, totally informative intercast. Appreciate all the stories. Lou, Sam, great job to you guys. Very, very proud to work with you here at the Cars of Carlisle Network. All right, it's time for the multi-part trivia question answer. Answers, I should say. Question number one. In the second generation Buick Skylark, those years being 68 to 72, what was the largest available power plant? And that was in the 1970 to 1972 Grand Sport 455, and that was, of course, the 455 cubic inch V8 at 7.5 liters. Question number two. That is, can you name at least two attributes or that were, as far as new attributes, introduced to the Nova in the 73 production year? And thanks to some Wikipedia research, there were several that I found. Uh, one was that in 1973, for that model year, they introduced a hatchback body style based on the two-door coupe of the Nova. Uh, they also had a revised rear suspension that they had uh, brought over from the second-gen Camaro. Uh, with multi-leaf springs, and that took care of the monoleaf, or I should say supplanted the monoleaf that was used on Nova's going starting from the beginning in 1962 forward. So that was also something new. There was a modified rear side window shape that was, that was also introduced in. What that helped do was get rid of any of the, the vent windows on both the four-door and the two-door models. Uh, there was uh, not uh, another item that was worth mentioning too that I found was Based on some governmental um, rules and, and uh, restrictions and things, they had to start fitting out with front and rear bumpers that could absorb that low, uh, low speed, I think it was five mile per hour impact, uh, both front and rear. So therefore, Nova had to restyle accordingly. And in fact, with the 73 model, they had uh, put that out with uh, redesigned bumpers that were a little bit um, beefier, if you were. They were had stronger and larger because of that. So there's, there's four of uh, the, the new attributes, and hopefully you knew at least a couple of those. Um, most of the time, the Novas were ordered with uh, four-wheel drum brakes, but that was new for 73, and then again in 74, they were starting to put out uh, the option for front disc, and that was, of course, uh, extra cost to that if you, uh, if you didn't have that, or you went with that on the option sheet. Also, with that aforementioned hatchback version, Nova started to have a com compact spare tire and it came with an inflator can. That was part of uh, the factory uh, compact spare. And lastly, um, steel belted radials were um, starting to be adopted in 73 and 74 for the Nova. All right, I am going to uh, start to put it uh, hit the brake and slow it down for this week's episode and I just want to say thanks again guys for being part of it thanks for supporting the show we definitely are looking forward to having you come back hang out with us next week and for now I will simply say drive well be well take care